If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Will you bow your heads with me? Holy One, we are not sure we are as brave as the psalmist who prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. They seem confident that they will be found righteous. We, well, not so much. We're spiritual, but petty. We like to be helpful, but only if we're sure the person deserves it. We like to do the right thing, but not at too high a personal cost. We like to be charitable, but we do want reserved seating in our name in the program. But maybe that's why there's the second line. See if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe the psalmist was spiritual but petty too, but was just brave enough to admit that they might not exactly be on the path everlasting. That's why they requested guidance. It gives us courage to know that we're not the first to need redirecting. Help us, Holy One, to be brave enough to be honest about ourselves, to confess without qualifying, and turn our hearts towards grace, that we might pay it forward. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of the Lord's robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above the Lord. Each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the Lord's glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. 
The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. About a month ago, a teacher from a local private Christian school called the office to ask if she could bring her students by Mayflower as part of an interfaith tour. Not wanting to disappoint or thwart her plan to expose her students to a different faith on an interfaith tour, I gently reminded her that we are a Christian church. She laughed and said she knew that, but we express our Christianity somewhat differently than what her students were used to. So come on. One of my favorite parts of welcoming people into this place is their reactions to the posters that hang in the narthex, our main hallway. Perhaps you have gotten so used to seeing them that you don't see them anymore. They say things like, we care more about rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, than rights, R-I-T-E-S, and our faith is 2,000 years old, but our thinking is not. One way to know a person is here for the first time is how long they spend reading those posters and the accompanying chuckle or look of relief on their face. The students responded accordingly. I explained to the students that the people who sit in these pews together do not all hold the same theological claims. We use the word some around here a lot. We are a non-credal congregation that belongs to a non-credal denomination, the United Church of Christ. This does not mean that we do not believe anything at all, nor does it mean that we believe everything. It means that you are not required to believe a list of things in order to belong. So some of us believe some things while some of us believe otherwise. We understand the creeds to be testimonies of faith, not tests of faith. So it is that some of us believe in bodily resurrection, some of us don't. Some of us believe in the virgin birth, some of us don't. Some of us believe that there is a right way to load the dishwasher. Some of us are wrong. <laughs> we practice a generous theology around here, at least as best we can. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of those things that we hold different theological opinions on. Trinity, the idea that God exists in three persons, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, which I bring up because it is indeed Trinity Sunday, which no one really knew until I just said. Some of us find the Trinity helpful, some of us do not. I can say with some certainty that none of us are particularly interested in sitting through a lecture on neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance, as one of the ancient creeds say. Whatever one's particular feelings are about the Trinity, the suggested text for this morning seems to be a stretch. I mean, the lectionary authors did know that this was Trinity Sunday. 
it seems to be a stretch to use this text. I mean, first of all, Jesus has yet to appear in this story with a capital S, and it seems reasonable that having all three persons present would be a prerequisite for a text on this designated Sunday. But Jesus was born quite a while after scholars date the writing of Isaiah. There's the argument that Jesus pre-existed, of course, but while some theologians and people of, think, people of faith believe Jesus is divine in that sense, some of us do not. Furthermore, the closest allusions to God as three in one in this text comes in the form of the angelic praise, holy, 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 and God's self-reference when asking who will go out into the world for us. So it's not a real strong tie to the Trinity, but to be fair, none of the suggested lectionary texts in the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament lay out an explicit explanation of the doctrine in no small measure because the word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. It is developed doctrine. The Greek form trios seems to have been first used by Bishop Theophilus of Antioch in the second century, which was then followed by decades of debate, centuries of debate, ultimately contributing to the split between Eastern and Western Christianity. It has been criticized as an irrational claim that three can also be one, but also praised as a paradigm for life in community and a redefinition of the oneness of God that doesn't rely on hierarchy or patriarchy, for it introduces a feminine aspect to the divine, all of which is to say, it's a rough day for preaching, whether it's about the Trinity or about this actual text. But really, this is a challenging text because the imagery in it is so foreign to most of us. God on a high and lofty throne, God's presence so vast that one can really only view the hem of the robe, unearthly creatures flying around with six wings. In this model, God is too precious, too powerful, too otherworldly. This is not exactly an image of the divine that resonates with most of us. But apparently it did the trick for Isaiah, and it may have had a great deal to do with his context. God is portrayed in this vision as the eternal king, the Lord of hosts, whose reign offers a sharp contrast to multiple layers of trauma that shaped Isaiah's world. The entire book of Isaiah is a response to the reign of terror inflicted by the Assyrian Empire, as well as the cataclysmic events associated with the destruction of the capital city Jerusalem by the Babylonian Empire. So Isaiah found himself, along with the people of Israel, in a place of scarcity and fear and oppression. Indeed, Isaiah needed God to be more powerful than all the power that oppressed the Israelites, needed God to be abundant enough to make up for what was and would be lost, needed God to be larger than the overwhelming armies that surrounded them. And so read in this light, Isaiah's vision seems a little less lofty and a little more like a cry of the heart. We can understand this text as an attempt to speak about the need to experience something holy and the very real presence of God. 
This is, of course, how we also think about the Trinity, for like other doctrine, it is not the development of purely intellectual considerations, but it is also an attempt to express faith and spirituality, which is why we hold these attempts neither too lightly nor too tightly. In other words, when considering doctrine or visions or scripture in the most generous light, we take their purpose as trying to deepen our own spirituality and life of faith beyond a just-the-facts-ma'am approach. So knowing what we know of the context as we walk line by line through Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8, it is as if Isaiah takes us through a five senses meditation he captures the unimaginable expansiveness, the intimate closeness and power of God using all of his senses. Whatever happened to Isaiah was a holistic event, felt spiritually and physically, and he wanted to share it. So he invites us as well to see, feel, hear, smell, and taste this vision of God along with him. The flying creatures, the smoke that fills the room, the song that floats in the air, the shaking threshold, the taste of a live coal on his lips. This is meant to bring us alive, to bring us to our senses. Five senses meditation or centering practice is often used to bring one back to one's own body, to steady the heart and the mind. For those of us who struggle with anxiety, the kind that leaves you unable to be in the moment, the kind that brings fear of what's next, the kind that keeps you up at night, the kind that steals hope and joy, a five senses meditation is a tool that can help us slow down enough to regain our balance, to re regroup, and to find a thread of hope to pull ourselves up by. If you've never done a five senses meditation, it's not hard. First, notice five things that you can see. Look around you and become aware of your environment. Try to pick out something that you don't usually notice. Second, notice four things that you can feel. Bring attention to the things that you're currently feeling, such as the texture of your clothing or the ground beneath your feet or the race of your heart. Third, notice three things that you can hear. Listen for things in the background. It could be the birds chirping outside or an appliance humming in the next room. Either way, it requires an important commitment to stillness. Fourth, Notice two things you can smell. Bring attention to scents that you usually filter out, pleasant or unpleasant. And finally, notice one thing you can taste. Take a sip of a drink or a bite of a snack. Be in that moment. Now, I know that what may come to our attention and what we might describe in a five senses meditation is likely to be significantly different than what Isaiah described. But Isaiah's vision was Isaiah's vision. 
But what if we were open to receiving a vision? What would it be if we were to set aside some time to settle into our imagination? What vision would come if we found a quiet place to be still with our own spirit? What would the spirit with a capital S do? Might we, too, find a spark of the divine, a pull towards the holy? Might we find a thin place, as Celtic spirituality would call it? Christians are not particularly known for our mindfulness practices, but this text is just one of many examples that remind us that we come from people who practice stillness and listening. So if we start now, we might make some progress towards being known as a mindful people. But if we do this, all bets are off, for we, like Isaiah, may find the courage and conviction to choose hope and move towards prophetic action. Don't forget that by the end of this vision, God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand, here am I, send me. Isaiah volunteers for an incredibly difficult task because it is not all unicorns and rose petals for Israel in the years to come. But Isaiah becomes a voice that speaks truth to power and keeps stoking the embers of hope. And we still hear this question millennia later, the Spirit tickling our ears, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Any volunteers? You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.